I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. On the 19th of July, 1995, addressing the discussion of a merger between his club and the Sydney City Roosters, St. George Chief Executive Jeff Carr was adamant, our goal is to merge as soon as possible. The brashness of Carr's statement belied the twin challenges of an emboldened fan movement and a hesitant controlling body. By the end of the weekend, Dragons fans had mobilised a protest at Cogra Oval, and within a month, administrative uncertainty had caused the collapse of merger talks. Carl would soon lose his job over the aborted amalgamation, and the Dragons stood on the precipice of becoming Super League's 10th franchise. This is Save Our Saints, the 20th chapter in the Rugby League Digest in-depth investigation of the Super League War. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams, here with Andrew Paskin. How's it going, Andy? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? A bit nervous about this one. This is a very personal one for me. Chapter 20, who'd have thought we'd make it? But this is Save Our Saints. This is an episode that I have had penciled in my calendar for a long time as a St. George man. There should be some wonderful personal insight here from you, given that you live through it. Well, let's get your outsider's view just to set this up. So obviously this episode is about the aborted merger with Eastern Suburbs and the prospect of St. George potentially going to Super League. Where were you at through all of this, like watching this situation play out? One of my main memories from the war was the back pages that St. George have gone to Super League of the Telegraph. and. I thought it was a done deal, and then it backflipped on the Monday or something like that. It was crazy. But then I remember the East discussion merger, and I thought it was a better idea than um, the Illawarra merger. Really? But I was wrong on both. Wow. To me, everything about the East merger was so wrong, and everything about the Illawarra one so right, like so natural. Well, I'll tell you why I thought that was because... As a kid, I didn't realize how close Illawarra was to St. George. I just thought Illawarra was like three hours away. Yeah, yeah. So let's paint the picture of St. George in 1995. And in our last chapter, we went through a history of Souths and the administrative problems that had plagued them for 20 years and got them to a point where they were on their knees in 1995. St. George didn't have that same level of struggle or hardship to overcome. they won premierships in the years and decades since their golden run. They'd had good years in between. They obviously had the Taj Mahal there on the Princess Highway to keep them buoyant. Can you imagine if that was built in India on the side of the Taj Mahal? <laughs> like, As a kid, I, um, I had cousins who lived in the Shire, so I'd often make the trip down south. And this was in the Wayne's World era, the we're not worthy kind of uh, <laughs> hand movement. So I'd get to Cogra Oval, I'd do it. And then I'd, you know, turn around and do it to the Leagues Club as well. And now I realise, yeah, do it to Cogra Oval. But, you know, <laughs> you know, the Leagues Club maybe doesn't need the same salute. 
I mean, if you're going to have these things, don't refer to them as eighth wonders of the world, please. <laughs> but so even with all this, by the time Super League came around, St. George were in trouble. And it wasn't because of incompetent administrators. I, I definitely think there was a lack of dynamism within the administration, which I think still plagues the club to this day. But the financial problems they were in in the mid-90s, to me it had more a lot to do with the climate of the time and the fact that the number of Sydney clubs meant that sponsorship dollars were increasingly hard to get. Crowds were not doing well at all. Then you're coming off a fairly average year in 94 and a bad start to the year in 95. So they found themselves in a very precarious position and a lot of that was just because of the situation. You can't gloss over that though. They were in two grand finals in 92 and 93. I mean, if that's not success enough for you. And even throughout that whole run, they were still averaging crowds of like 10, 11,000. So it's just not good enough. Do you mean to say that having 11 teams in one city is too many? Well, lest we get a barrage of, of angry emails and the rest of it again, I'll let people make up their own minds about that. Uh, <laughs> but yes, of course. <laughs> so Penfolds, who had been their sponsor since the late 70s, announced that they weren't going to sponsor the Dragons beyond 1995. And there was no one stepping in to replace it. They really struggled to get a replacement sponsor, which ended up being Newman's Mitsubishi. So regardless, there was a lot of talk about the continued viability of St. George as a standalone venture. So in public statements at the time, Jeff Carr was saying that their revenue was about half of what it needed to be for them to continue into the future. But where do these figures come from? I mean, how are they continuing at all? If you're half the revenue short, surely you're bankrupt six months later, right? Well, it wasn't that they needed that money right then in 1995. It was just looking at where football was headed. So I think this quote by Jeff Carr is pretty illustrative. To be competitive in future, we believe a football club must have about $7 million. We have $3 million. If the ARL wins the loyalty agreements, clubs like the Broncos and Auckland on about $15 million will have a big advantage. So it wasn't that they were losing all this money every year. It was just they could see themselves getting outstripped and not getting this sponsorship coming in. It was going to be tough to compete going into the future. I think we've been too soft on these guys for too many years is my point. <laughs> I think it comes down to that 11 clubs thing. You had... Teams like South and Balmain talking about having an operating budget of one to two million dwarfed by the Brisbane's, etc. And regardless of the money for the players, whatever else it might be, at a certain point, that becomes an issue. Definitely. And these super teams that we look back on so fondly, the Brisbane's and the Canberra's, etc., we've really got to have a look at the uneven playing field that they were using to win those comps, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. But so with all this, the talk of merger was in the air. So Jeff Carr is one of three St. George bosses you'll be hearing a lot from tonight. The other two are the two Warrens, Warren Saunders and Warren Lockwood. They were the three administrators most involved in everything we're talking about in this chapter. So Jeff Carr in 1994 was interviewed in the Rugby League Week and said, I see a 12-team competition with just four from Sydney. The southern region would be represented by St. George, Cronulla and Canterbury. So this is in early 1994, he's seeing that as 
the eventual makeup of the Sydney competition. And that's even before Super League had gone public. It's astonishing how many times we've seen ARL men come out with their own Super League. <laughs> but by the following year, by the time that Super League came about, Carr had changed his tune and was publicly talking about St. George as a standalone team. And on that, he was joined by basically every other Sydney club executive with everyone at talking about the need for amalgamations and for less Sydney clubs, but all of them equally adamant that their club could go it alone. You have to admire their loyalty to their clubs, don't you? <laughs> well, Wes are there with a raffle book in one hand. <laughs> <laughs> but in Carr's case, I think he and the rest of the St. George administration were burnt by the experience they had in talks with Cronulla over a potential merger. So when we've discussed Cronulla, we mentioned the fact that they basically got in first. They went to Super League. They gave a proposal to Super League about why they should be included. And without much other Sydney interest, they became in the box seat to get that license. So Cronulla came to St. George with an offer to amalgamate but they were coming from a position of strength now because they had already been assured that they were in. And they had property deals uh, that haven't been done yet. (laughs) (laughs) So Peter Gow uh, went to St. George in January 1995 with his proposal for what an amalgamation could look like. And as Warren Lockwood recalled, he'd even put a jumper together and it was mainly bloody blue in Lockwood's words. (laughs) Is Peter Gow obsessed with the cutting and sewing of jumpers? (laughs) So the idea was for a completely new entity called the Gladiators. So that uh, goes along with my idea of if you're going to merge two clubs, you kind of need to create a new identity out of it rather than, you know, upset half the fan base. Just that one comment about the jerseys from Lockwood just says it all. Yeah. (laughs) And at one stage, Illawarra were in the mix as well. So it was going to be a three-way amalgamation representing the south of Sydney and into Wollongong. The stumbling block was that neither St. George or Illawarra could stand to deal with Cronulla. Now, Peter Gow, he's got a reputation as being, in rugby league pilots, a smart operator. But he looks like he's very fond of himself as well in that that era. Well, I'm going to read a quote from uh, Tony Durkin in the Rugby League Week in 1995. I must stress Durkin does not go to state any individual administrator's name. So uh, I'm not saying this is Peter Gow, but this is what he had to say about a potential merger. I believe there's a feeling at St. George that while a certain high-profile figure remains at Cronulla, merger talks with the Sharks are way off limits. How many other high-profile figures did they have? (laughs) So it seems that there were ideological differences that were going to make any merger particularly difficult to overcome. And especially with the wrinkle of the Sharks, having even before April Fool's Day basically played their hand, it was going to be very hard to see that coming to fruition. But what that experience did was put St. George in a merger mindset. They're already dealing with these revenue shortfalls and a feeling that there was some movement behind a big shake-up of the rugby league landscape in Australia. I've got to say, mate, I think it's quite incredible that they were that open to it. Like, if, I just would have assumed in rugby league, that club, the most legendary club, the 11 premierships and the Red V, 
was actually just so open to the mergers. It really is shocking looking back, and especially from the East perspective as well, which we'll get into. But uh, this was Jeff Carr's quote in Mike Coleman's Super League book. Super League had already told us there would only be four Sydney clubs, and there was still a feeling that the ARL might end up running the Super League competition. The Saints board thought it would be a lot better to merge with someone we chose rather than just be told what to do. They instructed me to look at the options. And right there, you basically have the seeds of what would happen with the proposed merger with Easts. Mm. But come April Fool's Day, St. George weren't a target of Super League. The players, that's a different story. So on our Blitzkrieg episode, we mentioned that Phil Gould was actually at the St. George versus Canterbury game uh, on the Sunday Arvo when he was called into Phillips Street. So from that point, the club were made aware of the ARL's fight back and did their best to convince their players to go with the ARL. But before they signed, a lot of the players thought it would be in, in their interest to at least talk to Super League. And Shane Richardson actually set up a meeting at a St. George area hotel for the players to come and get his version of the vision. The problem was he didn't tell them which hotel he was at. So nobody came to the meeting. (laughs) Oh my God. Key detail, wouldn't you think? (laughs) But that wasn't to completely stop Super League. And it was actually in Mark Coyne's house about a week later that they finally got the pitch from Super League. They got it from Mal Meninga himself, who'd come straight from the meeting at Cronulla Leagues Club to Mark Coyne's house to to pitch the idea. Wow. So you must have been feeling great. <laughs> isn't that an incredible little thing? Yeah, I know. It's it's funny, isn't it? So he was there with Lachlan Murdoch. And uh, as Mike Coleman puts it, for Menenga, it was a much needed change of pace. On a stage in a suit, he was a duck out of water. But in someone's house with a beer in his hand, he was something else again. Sitting around talking to footballers about football was something Mal Meninga knew all about. That's very kind of Mike Coleman to say duck out of water. I would suggest duck on Mars. <laughs> and there was a, a significant amount of interest from St. George players about Super League, as we'll hear a bit later. But let's move on to the merger itself or the proposed merger. So as I said, St. George were in a merger mindset anyway, Come State of Origin, Jeff Carr was there as the the manager of the Blues. Phil Gould was there as the Blues coach. They were good friends, and they got to talking about their two clubs. Gould, of course, in his first year coaching the Roosters. And this is basically where it all started. So there was some mutual interest on both sides, but there weren't any formal talks until it was Gould and Carr sitting down, I'm sure, over a few beers discussing whether anything could happen. He was still only a young man then, Gould, too. He was, like, moving and shaking very early on, wasn't he? Yeah, like, he would have been, what, like, 35? like yeah, If that. Yeah. And you stated your surprise earlier at the idea that St. George would be so willing to sacrifice everything that's iconic about them as a club. And when you think about the Roosters and St. George, at that point in time, they each had what the other didn't. So the Roosters had the money, but... You know, very small fan base, not much of a junior scene, so to speak. St. George had this proud history and, you know, a very well-supported club, but were not financially stable enough to be able to compete. 
So there was a natural fit there as unnatural so many other things about the merger seemed. I mean, East had the proud history too, a foundation club and some good runs in various eras, but it's amazing how a fan base can really help you. Like the five to 50,000 people that support East aren't going to make as much noise as the 500,000 that support St. George. Yeah. But it's really funny this point in time for East. You know, we've discussed them before as a team with no real identity in the years leading up to Super League coming into power at a very opportune time. You had Nick Politis becoming chairman of the board in 1993 after a, a long association with the club. In our bonus episode earlier in the week, we talked about some of the best individual stories. We neglected to mention this one that got sent into us, but Nick Politis, like what a fascinating rugby league journey that is. Oh, absolutely. City Ford starts sponsoring the Roosters in 1976, the year after their last premiership and you know there are a few good seasons along the way but for the most part they were a, a nothing club that's my memory of them as a kid just being a nothing club all i remember is um is Hugh McGarn and David Truella that's all i remember yeah but he sticks with them through all this and then finally come the 90s gets involved in a serious way and puts them on the path to what they currently are you know, 25 years later. But it seems funny that at this very point in time in 1995, just when he's taking control, he's got Phil Gould in. He hadn't got Freddie yet, but he was definitely making statements that he was going to go after the top players. We have to remember that one of the driving forces behind everything that came out on April Fool's Day was Politis and the Roosters going after Bradley Clyde and Ricky Stewart in a big way. So it's quite curious that at this point in time when the Roosters are making a real power move that they would go for a merger such as this. Agree, yeah. It's a testament to his business mind, I suppose, just to listen to every deal. And I guess the idea is that you could become a genuine super club this way, that maybe even with the players they eventually got and the financial stability that Politis brought, maybe they were thinking you were still going to struggle to compete with teams like Brisbane. Yeah, it's pre the success of the salary cap. I mean, some people would still claim it's not successful, but I believe it is. So I'd say that was in his mind. If Brisbane had got a $15 million budget and compared to everybody else, you'd be like... Yeah. So it really is quite striking how much enthusiasm there was for this and how quickly it all came together. So it was late June when the story went public that they were in talks. By the 12th of July, Jeff Carr was being quoted as saying, our goal is to merge as soon as possible. Amazing. But in that rush to get the deal done, there were a lot of basic elements that I don't think anywhere near enough thought went into. And that's how do you put a club like this together? What does it look like? What is it called? Uh, funny, one of my memories is they were going to be called the Sydney City Saints. The logo was that Stickman mm. Saint logo. And in my mind, that's what it was. But that never seems to have really been discussed at board level. That seems to have been a media creation. So I think the logo I was imagining at the time, the stick man, was actually just the Daily Telegraph graphics department, <laughs> you know, whipping something together. It's another one of the fait accompli decisions <laughs> that the media made. But let's just talk about the fact that any merger talk with the Roosters, they're going to lose out on the logo, mm. the Roosters. Like, no one wants to be a Rooster, really, do they? Like, no. So Tigers is going to win that one. Dragons is definitely going to win over a Rooster. <laughs> yeah. 
Although, I mean, there is like a, an understated elegance to the, the classic Roosters logo. Yeah, I don't mind it, but I mean, in terms of a sports franchise nickname, Rooster is not going to win out many battles. No. <laughs> so every design or every concrete idea that was put together, it was trying to have it both ways. Like the team was potentially going to be called East St. George. Mm. And Carr said that they worked out two different uniforms, a winter and a summer one, one more East, the other Saints. They'd be playing some games at the SFS, some games at Cogra. And I just, it, it doesn't work. Like you can't try to keep two traditions alive. If you're going to merge, you need to become an actual entity. The best version of the merger for me is, in terms of fairness, is the West Tigers. You've got the Wests in the name, and you've got the Tigers, the animal, the better animal, and you've got a mix of the colors. I mean, that to me is the best you can do. Keep one person's name and one person's animal. Mm. Yeah, and in this case, you would have had to, because you can't have the St. George Roosters because the derivation of the rooster is... from the east where the sun rises so it would have to be the eastern suburbs dragons i think sydney city dragons would have been a a nice little ring yeah but it was always going to be hard to get people on side and move away from the name st george well it's just perfect but so because of all of this almost from the start there was outrage and resistance this was coming internally and externally so the starting with the players uh, Wayne Bartram said that he would walk away from the club if the merger went through. Noel Goldthorpe, who went on to sign with Super League, said that the only reason he left St George was because of the merger. He said, if I'd known it was going to turn out like that, I wouldn't have gone. I wanted to stay at St George more than anyone. All these blokes want to play for St George, not for Easts. Those players and, and whatever players wasn't going to be enough to convince the board or anyone else against it one group which did have an influence was the movement that started save our saints i want to uh, shout out a man named cameron eccleston who got in contact with me a couple of months ago just to let me know that he was one of the organizers behind save our saints and he still had all the documents and paraphernalia from the time so uh, i spent a lovely afternoon with cameron going through all his old stuff so very much indebted to the assistance he provided for this episode excellent but let me just call you out here with a sandbagging opportunity. Is there not a bit of hypocrisy in the air? Save Our Saints has got a very Aussies for the ARL ring to it. I, uh, but yet you're speaking with glowing pride. I can hear it in your voice. This actually isn't a sandbagging because I was prepared for this. I knew you were going to call me out on this. And <laughs> the thing, the difference, the key difference as I see it, and, and there is some obnoxiousness there, which we'll cover, But the big difference to me is Save Our Saints was a single issue cause devoted to stopping this merger and getting St. George back on track and in a position to survive into the future at a time when that looked doubtful. Aussies for the ARL was formed after the Knights had already, like, it was mission accomplished. The Knights had signed with the ARL. And all Aussies for the ARL wanted to do was, you know, throw bricks through the Hunter Mariners' office windows. And <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. What is the link between... Now, to me, this is an IRA and real IRA type situation. The link between Save Our Saints and Our Stouts. I, I was prepared for this as well. And this is what I would say, <laughs> that the downside of Save Our Saints was that it emboldened 
St. George supporters in a very real way uh, for 25 years of obnoxiousness. Yeah. And, you know, the unfurling of the Oust Doust banners, all the rest of it, I think, directly came out of Save Our Saints. Right. I think we talked about Souths last week. I think there are no two more entitled sets of fans than <laughs> Souths and St. George fans. Agreed. I completely recognize that. But I think in this single issue, Save Our Saints came from an organic place and got the job done. You know, everything that came in the years since, uh, different story. All right. Well, I had to grill you because I wanted the listeners to know that you weren't speaking with uh, rose-colored Oakleys. <laughs> so the the first thing the Save Our Saints movement did was to organize a protest march, uh, which they called a blackout. So they all wore black. They uh, brought a coffin along uh, to do a, a mock funeral uh, jumped the fence at half time, and you know what started out as a small group of I think they were, you know only twenty or thirty in number ended up being something like eight or nine hundred people jumping the fence with them and marching in protest of the merger. I used to watch the news and see when Greg Chappell was coaching Pakistan, and then they had like effigies of him burning, and I'd be going, "Geez, these guys are outrageous!" It's just like it's cricket. Who cares? Like, what are you burning effigies for? Like, this is one step away from an effigy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, but it made an effective point. Although on the other side, Jeff Carr also made an effective point. But how did they get a coffin into the ground? This is up there with the Peter Hoare and the tricycle and the kittens uh, mystery. How do they get the coffin into the ground? I'm glad you asked because I actually uh, Cameron actually gave me the story. He said that they went to the gate with their coffin and security said, you, you can't bring a coffin in to the ground but obviously whoever was on the gate was sympathetic because they said but you know at half time we're going to be over at this other gate so you know, <laughs> i'm just saying that this gate won't be attended if you were to come back at a later time this really is the ira <laughs> so they managed to get the coffin in and same story security turned a slightly blind eye to them getting onto the field and once you had them being joined by grandmothers with their kids and and just the rank and file uh st george fan there was nothing they could do to stop it so it was a very effective protest and there's something a bit disingenuous about jeff carr saying that you know 800 it's you know that looks good but it's only about 10 percent of the crowd <laughs> It's still a good result, but with that 10%, he makes an even better point. And he said, if we had fifteen to 20,000 coming every week, we wouldn't need to be talking about merger. Absolutely. But you've got to make it attractive to come, haven't you? So- yeah, and Save Our Saints, to their credit, they thought a lot about these issues. And I, I want to save this for after we discuss the collapse of the merger, but they weren't just... No merger. They actually came in with some plans. So they put together... One of my favorite was this 14-page document they prepared for Coca-Cola to get Coke to sponsor the Dragons. So it came with a, a like a drawing of a potential new jersey, which was sponsored by Coke. So the jersey design abandoned the Red V. And it was... Do you remember in the early 90s, Coke had this like future ball promotion? Not really. I think there was that spirit behind this new jersey. It had a very sevens jersey vibe. I didn't love the jersey uh, at all. And also, keep the red V. That goes without saying. 
that's a very Super League proposal, but I've got to say I'm very impressed that they're putting together their own marketing plans. And this is one of their big arguments was that St. George didn't have a marketing department to speak of and how out of step that was with the way rugby league was heading. So they had real concerns with the way the club was run beyond this half-baked, in their eyes, this half-baked merger. And as I said, they put actual thought behind it, you know, preparing this document for Coca-Cola. Coke eventually said no because they weren't going to go head-to-head with Pepsi, who were sponsoring Manly. Coke actually said no because they're a group of strangers and fans (laughs) of a football club that have approached them. But their passion is unmatched. To me, that fills me with pride for rugby league fans to have that much passion. Yeah. And I mean, it really did start with a a very small group of organisers and became an actual movement. And that went to the extent of getting the old legend or some of the old legends involved. So Norm Proven became an outspoken supporter of Save Our Saints. Uh, When I spoke to Cameron, he talked about their frustration that they didn't have more support from the old players. Eventually, more and more did come out against the merger. So Harry Bath was vocally against the merger. Ian Walsh, one of the few who actually supported the idea of St. George going to Super League if it meant retaining their identity. But you can't blame the old ex-players because most mobs in rugby league are borderline vigilante, you know? But there's something different about this particular set of legends. They were so closely linked with the club. Now, I'm saying, like, I'm sure they were against the merger, but maybe they didn't want to align themselves with an angry mob type thing was what they're thinking. But Proven definitely did come on board to his personal detriment. So there was, and still is to this day, a portrait of Proven which sits in the the stairway as you head up to the Chinese restaurant at the Leagues Club. A very elegant, graceful portrait of the great man uh, and proven says that at the time of the merger that portrait actually disappeared <laughs> from the walls when he asked the club uh, they said it was out for cleaning but he stated very uh, unequivocally that he thinks it was to do with his stance on the merger well that happened in newcastle right with the painting <laughs> with the johnny raper mural so yeah yeah <laughs> How funny that in this Super League saga, there are multiple stories of St. George legends having artwork taken down <laughs> from walls in anger. Besides it being on the way to the Chinese restaurant, which is rugby league in itself, but what's more rugby league than like, nah, bugger him. If he wants to do that, we'll get rid of his mural. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, And Proven said that around the time of the Illawarra merger, which he supported as a more natural fit, the painting reappeared on the wall. Has Norm Proven ever had a non-considered, unintelligent opinion? The guy's always on the side of right when it comes to rugby league. Mm. His whole life, every opinion is just like a gentlemanly, well-thought-out thing. And again, he's proved right. Yeah, I mean, what more can you say about Norm Proven? Absolute icon. So with the weight of that plus the Save Our Saints movement, the merger was looking like it was in trouble. And then it did fall apart. And I would argue that the public sentiment that we saw in, you know, old legends speaking out in this Save Our Saints movement, it's debatable how much, if any, actual influence it had. And I think a much bigger reason for the failure for the merger, came from the ARL itself. And that manifested itself in a number of ways. So firstly was the idea that any teams who merged would be supported financially by the ARL. 
So it was reported in the paper that teams who merged would get $5 million from the ARL. That doesn't seem to have been an official figure. Like, you know, a few years ago, we heard about the carrot that was dangled for any teams who chose to relocate that, you know, none eventually took them up on. There was never any official, you know, statement that this would happen. So this figure of $5 million, whether there was any truth behind it or whether it was just a journalist sounding off, I don't know. But there was an expectation that teams who merged would be looked after in a substantial way by the ARL. By the time the merger came around, they were no longer in a position to offer anything, basically. Well, it's quite wise that no one took them up then, isn't it? <laughs> and then on top of that, it was just the wrong time for a merger. So the right time was six months earlier or, you know, as it would turn out, a couple of years later. At this point in time, you've got this court decision hanging in the balance. You don't know what's going to happen with the competition next year. The ARL's committed to a 20-team competition. If they lose the court case, they're going to lose some of the best teams and best players. Suddenly, you've got these two teams merging into one, destabilizing the competition and making it very difficult to get back to a 20-team competition. You've also got two of the most famous clubs now essentially gone and the problems with PR that comes from that. So it was, in the end, a very inopportune time for the ARL to approve such a merger. Absolutely. Again, to use the same example I always bring up, the redesigning the origin jersey to that monstrosity in 97, either you're going to be all tradition or all new. It's like, don't mix and match. Yeah, and it goes back to the timing of it. So uh, I love this quote from Norm Tasker. Some cruel irony shrouds the current rush towards mergers among the Sydney clubs. Why ironic? Well, if people had been talking like this five years ago, when perhaps they should have been, we wouldn't all be in the pickle we're in now. Hindsight 2020 yet again, but everybody says it. Why haven't we got less Sydney clubs? Not my club. <laughs> this is the problem. This is one of the things that came out at the time is that not only were the clubs not prepared to entertain the idea, the ARL, as much as they talked a big game about We'll give the competition a couple of years to settle in and then we'll begin the process of rationalization. Talking about at the time that these five-year loyalty agreements were put in place, the idea that clubs should naturally look to merge, they just didn't give the matter enough thought in terms of how that would actually look, how they would manage the changes that would come of it. So uh, Nick Politis and Warren Lockwood met the board of the ARL to talk about the proposed merger and both came away like shocked at the lack of foresight or the lack of a blueprint for moving forward with it the ARL actually had. I give them a pass on that because no matter what they come out with in a blueprint, it would have leaked out for a start. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what they were suggesting, there would have been a huge protest and save our Saints style fight backs from every single club that was going to go. So you might as well just do it at the time. That's what I think. Yeah, exactly. It comes back to timing again. They were not only in the middle of this war, but it was not in their interest for a merger at that time. And from the St. George side, there was talk that the ARL had actually approached them and said, look, we've got this court case coming up. Just go slowly with this thing because we don't know what rugby league is going to look like next year. Yeah, also there could have been a bit of natural attrition for the ARL to capitalize on if they waited. Mm. But so regardless of the reasons, the merger then fell apart. So it was in early August that it was announced that they wouldn't be proceeding with the merger. So this is like, you know, six weeks after the story went public. So it all played out pretty quickly. 
Uh, the Roosters left the situation very angry, not at St. George, but at the ARL for all the things we've just talked about. They felt they went in with the right spirit, you know, matching the talk they'd heard from the ARL months before. They got no offer of financial assistance, as they thought might be the case. They had no enthusiasm from the ARL. But what do they expect them to say? It's like, well, we'll wait two years and then we're going to have you merge with them, Parramatta merge with them. You know, it's just, it's impractical. Yeah. That's the thing. The timing of it all is just so strange. It's hard to see how it got to this point. You know, Jeff Carr obviously had very close links with the ARL. Mm. Nick Politis, the same. Phil Gould, you know, for God's sake, the coach. How did it get to this point where they, you know, Fate accompli is becoming the most overused word in our series, but... But it's the most appropriate word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How did it get to that stage where it was talked about in such definite terms? How did it get to the stage of all these, you know, reports being written and all this work being done only for, at the last hurdle, the ARL to damp everyone's enthusiasm and basically sabotage, sabotage is too strong a word, but make it very difficult for the merger to proceed. So many things in rugby league just come out of the ether. There's just a whiff of something in the air, the media beats it up, and then it's then it exists. Yeah. It's almost like a, there's going to be a fight in the first scrum in administration. I guess my point is that when you have these close links with the administration, and the ARL were aware of what was going on at one point, Malcolm Speed had been brought in as a consultant to advise on the amalgamation. Like, surely someone at the administration could say, look, we like the idea in principle, now's not the time. That would have been an appropriate response, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the wake of all this, the Roosters actually came out with some pretty strong words. So Deputy Chairman Dennis Muddle said, What has happened is extremely frustrating and disappointing. We're starting to feel the way the Broncos obviously did before Super League. It was the league who promoted the idea of mergers between clubs and for us to go to Phillip Street last week, after all the hard work that had been done, all the painful parts of it that had been negotiated, and run into the sort of obstacles that we did was bitterly disappointing. All things change with the war is what I'm saying. I mean, pick up a phone, Arco, is all I'm saying. You know, like There was a chance to nip this in the bud and not have it play out so publicly and fall apart so dramatically. But just that quote from Dennis Muddle, and there was a similar quote from Bernie Gurr, who was their chief executive at the time. Uh, Gurr said, We thought we were pioneering a new concept for rugby league and sending a message to Super League at the same time. The ARL have been encouraging teams to merge for some time, but now appear to be having second thoughts. Just the language used in these two quotes. So talking about pioneering a new concept, uh, Muddle saying, we're starting to feel the way the Broncos did before Super League. Given their close links to the ARL, it's hard to see East really entertaining the idea of Super League, but there also seems to be a bit of dog whistling in the way those statements are phrased, like in these public statements, you know, maybe leveraging themselves for if Super League does win the court case and, and has the upper hand, you know? Well, absolutely, and I think that's a smart thing to do. <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about how everything else fell out in the wake of this failed merger. One of the immediate consequences was the Crushers missing out on potentially getting some great players up there because there was an informal deal in place that if the merger went through, offcuts from the Roosters would be sent up to the Crushers. Like who? Well, two were players that ended up there anyway, Nigel Gaffey and Graham Mackay. 
The other name being thrown out was Adrian Lamb. Yeah, it's a shame for them. Yeah, exactly. And even if it was the second tier players or fringe first graders, the crushers could definitely have used that sort of player injection. Uh, and if the merger did go ahead, maybe there's a deal in place with St. George as well, and they could have been even more strengthened. The other big casualty was Brian Smith, who, when the merger was being discussed, was basically tapped on the shoulder by Jeff Carr to say, look, if this goes ahead, uh, we're probably going to go with Gus. So basically from the time the merger was announced, Brian Smith knew his cards were marked and he had to make other plans. Are you saying that Brian Smith was the runner-up in the coaching stakes? (laughs) Not unlike a grand final. (laughs) I had this for a bit of discussion about Brian Smith, so let's just do it now. Brian Smith, his coaching legacy. Where are you at? What do you think of Brian Smith? I like him. I think he's done some great stuff. I mean, making grand finals and losing them is better than not making them. I think he is so unfairly maligned. Me too. I I just maligned him unfairly. (laughs) But yeah, like had success basically every club he coached at, taken multiple clubs to grand finals, and yet he's just kind of a joke. Well, I think it was um, because he was ahead of his time. Like The knock on him was he was too detail-oriented. He'd text his players after hours. Can you believe that? <laughs> I think there is that detail-oriented. I think that can go part of the way to explaining why he seems to be one of those coaches that loses the dressing room pretty quickly. So Gordon Tallis said, I don't know why he can't get a team over the line. I still think he's a very good coach, especially for young blokes. Maybe that's his problem. He's too good. He doesn't leave anything to the players. He works out every move they should make, and then if things go wrong, they don't know what to do. But Ricky Stewart's lost more dressing rooms than you can count, and um, he's still revered. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, one or two premierships, like if he'd won one of those grand finals, if he'd won for Parramatta in 2001, for God's sake, you know, we're suddenly talking about him very differently. Yeah, so he played a $15 million um, gross income Brisbane Broncos teams and then um, against Joey, the world's best ever player. So (laughs) it's not exactly that easy to beat those teams. But either way, it wasn't to help him in 1995 and he was out the door upsetting the administration and the fans as well on his way out by saying that there was a smell of Newtown about the place. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Wok-esque comment. (laughs) (laughs) And the other major casualty from the St. George side of things was Jeff Carr, who lost his job as chief executive at the end of the year uh, and was basically a meeting in August where he was voted out and it was announced that, you know, he wasn't going to be with the club going into the following season. Uh, And it's so funny because I'm a bit more measured about the merger. I can understand where it was coming from, even if still disagreeing with the fit and the rationale behind it. At the time, in 1995, I was so angry about this merger. Like, you cannot imagine how angry I was. I can imagine. (laughs) And Jeff Carr was the figurehead of this. I hated Jeff Carr so much. And that's true of a lot of fans. Like, he was the scapegoat uh, and the target of the Save Our Saints ire. It was always, let's get Carr, you know. (laughs) I quite like things. I used to read about him being like the Blues and the Kangaroos manager and stuff like that. Yeah. So not unlike Sean McRae with the Australian training job, I was like reading about him and Jeff Carr. So I was like, oh, these guys are cool, you know? Yeah. But so at the time, my thoughts on the merger was that it was 
orchestrated by Jeff Carr. No one else was involved and he had to go because of it. But every other administrator there was in it up to their eyeballs just as much as Carr was. And he's the sacrificial lamb. You had the three ingredients for a mob mentality. You had uh, ignorance, <laughs> you had anger, and you had youth on your side. <laughs> uh, and that sentiment against Carr has persisted to this day. So this was an, an article written by Roy Masters in the wake of the Dragons' premiership victory in 2010. When former St. George Chief Executive Jeff Carr walked through the milling crowd towards ANZ Stadium, with his wife Penny for Saturday night's Dragons vs. West Tigers preliminary final, he heard the voice of a fan with a long memory. It was a good idea to merge with the Roosters, mate, a man called out in reference to the 1995 <laughs> Talks card. <laughs> Perfect rugby league vindictiveness. <laughs> And so in the wake of the failed merger, the talk became safeguarding the future. And a lot of that was coming from Save Our Saints. Like I mentioned, the thought behind that movement and what Cameron showed me was all the planning, all the documents they put together on how to save Saints. Uh, and a lot of this came down to game day experience. So I want, want to go through some of my favorites of these and see what you think. So one, the toilet facilities need to be upgraded to include a baby change room. It amazes me that in 1995 that has not been done. The toilets also need a facelift as they are not too pleasant. Uh, I can report that in 2020 that still hasn't been done. <laughs> The scoreboard, although not essential, something needs to be done to the scoreboard. It reminds everyone of a grade cricket scoreboard. Uh, once again in 2020, same. Bloody hell. One interesting idea was that they should move uh, the big games to the SCG. This actually had fan support. You know my feelings on the SCG and rugby league. I completely agree with you. And it's funny that that fan sentiment was there. And this was only eight years after football stopped being played at the SCG. I remember going to, you know, there'd be like a celebration of the 63 grand final or whatever it might be. And it'd be St. George West at the SCG. Or I think I went to a Balmain game there from memory as well. Yeah, I did too. So you'd have these one or two games a year where you'd, there'd be a game at the SCG. And the sense of nostalgia and like, oh, isn't this great where footy used to be played? And it was just like eight years ago. Yeah, but that nostalgia wears off by about the third minute when you're looking at ants and you're going, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was, it was odd that there was that push from the fans. But that was where Chooks built blood, so I can sort of see it. <laughs> the toilet thing again, right? I totally agree with Save Our Saints. For something so simple, you can get done quite easily. Like You can get Tommy Rodonicus to do the tiling for you, probably. <laughs> it's so simple yeah. to do, and they just like neglect toilets all the time at rugby league grounds. Mm, yeah. I mean, like the ones in the new grandstand are fine, but the old ones behind the hill on the eastern side, like they're literally the exactly the same that, you know, I went to when I was like a little kid. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, so another couple of ideas they had uh, related to the entertainment. St. George need to continue the competition such as the ball catching competition, but the competitions need to be fresh and varied. For example, this year we needed gladiator type contests. The competitions need to reflect the times. <laughs> no better reflection of the times of 1995 than a gladiator style halftime <laughs> entertainment. Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, I would like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then they had the idea of a, a knight riding on a horse uh, to go around the grounds, playing music when a try was scored. Songs such as I See Red, I See Red and You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet can be incorporated into the current <laughs> song list. The detail of these plans is magnificent. Yeah. This was like a you know, multiple-page document with all these very minute ideas on how to fix St. George. But beyond these, there were bigger ideas, and one of those was the option of joining Super League. So, Where were Save Our Saints broadly on this? Save Our Saints were, we're loyal to St. George, not the ARL. So whichever competition will give us the best chance of being St. George, that's where we're going with. And that's exactly how I felt at the time. Like I remember, I think I said in our first episode that I was an ARL guy, but as soon as it looked like St. George were going to merge with Ace, I was like, okay, well, let's go to Super League. I think that's every fan pretty much. Yeah. And so after the merger fell apart, there was a very real chance of St. George going to Super League. This was before Adelaide was announced. So there was a 10th franchise up for grabs. And so the Warrens, Lockwood and Saunders met with John Rebo, Ken Cowley and Lachlan Murdoch uh, with the option of joining Super League, being the fourth Sydney franchise, playing their games out of the Sydney cricket grounds or the football stadium. Football stadium is a great idea. Yeah. And in the end, I think it there were too many close club links with the ARL. You had Graham Richardson, who'd been a long-time St. George man, getting you know quite involved in the push to keep them loyal to the ARL. Obviously, Jeff Carr was very close with the ARL too. Graham Richardson, again, he's the singer of this story, isn't he? And he actually let, left quite affected by it all. So uh, this is what he had to say. I was badly bruised by the whole St. George experience. There were some people in that club who had been my friends for many years. Now they are not my friends. I'll never forgive Super League for that. And as to why they didn't sign with Super League, it seems to have mostly come down to that pending court case. So they were very worried about the possibility of legal action. Uh, even in terms of the merger, they didn't know if they were going to be on solid legal ground. And that was true of Super League as well. So... Warren Saunders said that they never got a firm offer from Super League, but I think there was reticence over whether they'd be legally liable if they did switch. So they took a wait-and-see approach uh, and decided not to go with them. So despite uh, Save Our Saints pushing to explore Super League options, despite uh, Michael Beatty running on an independent ticket uh, as a board challenge to try to get them to go to Super League, they said no. Uh, not all the players took that same line with 10 players, I think it was in the end, signing with Super League. Uh, and we've got more discussion on this in our next season of this series. But What's your favourite ticket, the Independent or the Rebel? Oh, I mean, Rebel, for sure. It's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> the club didn't go, but a lot of the players did. And going into 1996... It looked like they could have been down about 10 regular first graders, uh, making that incredible run to the grand final even more unlikely. Uh, so, of course, all but Gordon Tallis did eventually come back. We've got a lot more on Gordon Tallis in our next season of this series. But for the rest of the players, the likes of Anthony Mundine, Nathan Brown, it looked like they were all going to be heading to Cronulla. They were forced to come back to the Dragons. And upon their return... Each was given a Goose of the Week shirt uh, and said, Jeff Hardy, it helped ease them back in. We could all have a good laugh. 
And that was basically it for St. George and Super League until the first court case when the decision came down and Super League started scrambling uh, for their next move. And this is where the option of St. George either going to Melbourne or merging with the already in progress Adelaide team becoming the Adelaide franchise became a distinct possibility. I'm very interested about this because throughout this whole series, I'm always flippantly saying teams should relocate to other cities, etc. You are a very, very serious St. George fan. I'd say if you were four years older, you would have been part of Save Our Saints, possibly a ringleader. <laughs> how would you have felt, or how would you feel now and, and then if they'd moved to Melbourne or Adelaide and kept the Dragons' identity? I, I actually love the Melbourne idea. Adelaide, I'm not sure, but I think, I mean, I definitely would have got behind it. But it's funny, Melbourne, because one of the things I think about is in 1995, when the ARL were talking about future expansion, they were already talking about Melbourne then. And you think if that merger had gone through St. George versus the Roosters, if that had got put together and they needed an extra team to make up the 20 team competition or have a, you know, even number if it was the split competitions and, and go into 12 teams, Melbourne probably would have been like an expansion team. I think it's very possible that there would have been an ARL Melbourne team. Yeah. And you just think about the change of fortunes there with it being essentially like a crushers style setup with offcuts from various clubs, like building a club from scratch rather than what Super League ended up getting with Melbourne was a core of, you know, Hunter Mariners players and players from elsewhere, but they were able to set that club up with players that were ready to go. Mm. Like, you wonder how Melbourne would have played out if they had a few years of sputtering along and, you know, being like a rubbish team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It worked out wonderfully for Melbourne, just getting that young, uh, the young core, to use an American phrase, and building from there. But, mm. yeah, the question I had for you, though, was like, how would you have gone supporting them from another city? Oh, at the time, it would have been tough. But looking at it now, I like, I, I think it would have been, I'm obviously happier with what I've got as someone who enjoys going to their games every week or whenever I can. But I think the Melbourne thing would have been a good fit. I like the idea of that. I think there's something cool about it. Yeah. I don't know, it's like I'm often at odds with my own suggestions because I'm always saying, you know, just send Crowell to Perth, but like to keep your identity in another city v merging and losing the identity, I'd, I'd rather have the identity. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Uh, but that's not what happened with St. George and, and that's where we leave this chapter. Uh, no book recommendation this week, although I did consult uh, quite a number of them, which you can read in our reading list, which is now on our website, uh, com slash references. My endorsement for this week is just to once again thank Cameron Eccleston for uh, sharing all his material with me. Uh, had a very lovely afternoon going through all of that. I would also like to thank Cameron. That's amazing source material, but you need to get a pat on the back for your links to underground resistance movements. <laughs> Getting that as a source is just incredible, literally from the horse's mouth. Yeah, no, it was a great email to get in the inbox uh, when he sent that through. So again, we do welcome any insider insight anyone might be able to provide us. Uh, so thanks again, Cameron. And all our material is off the record until said otherwise. Uh, yep, yeah, absolutely. I did have those discussions with Cameron, so I, I, I'm a man of integrity. You don't have to worry about that. 
Uh, so with that, we will get out of here. I'd love to hear from any St. George fans in particular, the Rugby League Digest at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'd uh, love to get your thoughts and we will speak to you next time. Toodaloo.